0: It is Tuesday on Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to be back for another day. Hope you guys are as well. Thank you for listening once again. Good show coming up. Uh, Andrew Kramer from the Star Tribune will join me here in just a few minutes to talk Vikings film review of Joshua Dobbs and his performance on Sunday. Um, What he did, what the Vikings were able to do and how that might look going forward, assuming he is going to be in line to start again, which seems likely, based on how he performed, where it seems like Nick Mullins is at with his Injury progression and Jaron Hall being in concussion protocol, so some interesting kind of perspectives on that from Andrew. And we'll also look at the bad running game, some of the stuff the defense has been doing lately with blitzing, not blitzing, and things like that. So we'll get to that in a little bit, as well as some excellent Vikings poetry off of. Again, what a what a wild, wonderful, fun game that was uh, on Sunday. Five and four. Now they went four and zero without Justin Jefferson 1 and 0 so far without Kirk Cousins. I don't quite know how they're doing it, but uh, they're doing it right now. Maybe they maybe they're determined to stay on on pace at least theoretically with last year's 13 and 4 team. Not quite where that last year's team was at this point, but they have still only lost those 4 games even after starting 1 and 4. Speaking of wild and wonderful though, what did I miss? Wolves game last night? was the thing we got to start with because they beat the celtics 114 to 109 in overtime and it's the kind of game where you're tempted to make too much out of it but you're also not sure if you're making too little out of it if that makes sense right it's it's still it's a regular season game it's the sixth game of the season it mattered more to the Wolves, certainly, than it did to the Celtics, I think. And and what I mean by that is not that Boston didn't want to win, not that Boston wasn't playing hard. They certainly were. But Boston has been to places that the Wolves haven't been yet. So the sixth regular season game to a team that is expected to compete for a championship this season and has competed for championships for many seasons already in the past a sixth regular season game means less to them than a team that is trying to get to that level or trying to get to the level before that level. So that's what that's the point I want to make right off the bat, that this game means more to the Wolves than it did to the Celtics, just as the game... A couple games ago against Denver meant more to the Wolves than Denver did. Denver, of course, wants to win. They hadn't lost yet, nor had the Celtics, but they won the championship last year. A regular season game this early in the season doesn't mean as much to them in terms of proving themselves or having some sort of significance. That said don't want to take anything away from this game in particular and the significance of beating two of the best teams in the NBA on the same home stand when both of them were undefeated that is a significant achievement and i think both those games were significant in their own right denver was a game where the wolves got a big lead and maintained it kind of not coasted but had a had a comfortable Margin all the way through and were able to withstand anything that came their way and, and really just, you know, kind of eased into a, a very kind of confident, comfortable victory. The Celtics win was nothing of the sort. It went to overtime. There was a lot of, you know, tough defensive possessions on both sides. Baskets were hard to come by. It was, it had a certain atmosphere that felt more like April or May than early November. And again, it's not. April or May. It's not a playoff game, but it had some of that intensity, especially in the fourth quarter and overtime where both teams were locked in. Both teams realized that, hey, this, this feels different. We're both trying to win in a way that maybe we wouldn't normally try to win this early in the season. And the Wolves... To their credit, won this game. And how many times in the past would we have looked at this game and the Wolves would have lost by two or three? And we would have said, man, they went toe to toe with a really good team, but they came up short. They're really close though. They're right there. If they can do X, Y, and Z, maybe sometime in the future they can win a game like this. Well, they won a game like this. And again, What's the significance? I don't know. It's one game. It's a game that goes in the win column. They're 4-2. and two. It's been a really good homestand so far. They can make it an excellent homestand with a win on Wednesday against New Orleans. But the significance of it to me is this. A, um, they win the game. They're 3-0. They've beaten two really good teams on this homestand and a Utah team that they should beat and handled in a, in a perfectly kind of workmanlike fashion. A good, consistent effort. Feels to me like a lot of things are coming into place too. Ant had another great game. He is stepping into that clear number one role. If there's any if there's any doubt about it coming into the year, and I don't really think there was, he is coming into that role now. Jaden McDaniels feels like he's coming close to being in the big three, and that's significant in a couple ways, and I'll get to that in a minute. He's making big shots down the stretch. He's defending guys left and right, which is no surprise. Ant called out Jaden at the end after after the whole thing was over in the locker room afterwards, called out Jaden for his defense and said he was the reason they won the game. Here's a clip of that. You might think I'm trying to be funny, but Jaden McDaniels, I'm not really trying to be funny. I mean, like... Show me a clip
1: where he got scored on, like in a one-on-one situation. They 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 isolated maybe like ten times in the fourth, and nobody scored on him. So he was the reason we won that game. And he hit like three, four big shots in the fourth. Two in overtime. Like we don't win that game if he if he's not playing.
0: So McDaniel's played great defense, made a ton of big shots in the fourth quarter and overtime after a tough start. Rudy Gobert. Terrible night at the free throw line, but it was all over the place on defense. The Wolves had a great defensive rating again, under 100 once again. That has been their calling card this year. And Boston was the number one offense in the league coming into this game. So that is a big deal. So you have that role Mike Conley Jr. kind of getting them the minutes that, that he needs That he needs to kind of slow them down, settle them down. Um, so you have almost everybody in the starting lineup going well. You have a lot of good bench contributions from Naz Reed from uh, from Kyle Anderson guys like that the guys you come to expect now the downside the elephant in the room right now is still this Carl Anthony Towns has been inconsistent is the nicest way to put it this year he had a good game the other day against uh, against Utah that was one of his better games in the year but otherwise he's been he's had a hard time getting this going in this game 7 points and 7 turnovers fouls out in overtime the wolves immediately go on a run as soon as he is off the court as soon as he fouls out in overtime they go on a run that puts the game away Ant goes on a run almost by himself with those six points that puts the game away that is interesting to me he is the elephant in the room right now the seven foot elephant in the room right now at what point does he go from being a complimentary piece at least to the weight that is holding you down. And I don't think we're there yet. That was, this is just one game. Again, we don't want to blow one game out of proportion. But I didn't like his body language at all in that game. I didn't like the way he looked like he was lost. The way he couldn't even really get into the team flow of things in a lot of cases. That was a really disappointing game from that standpoint. It made me wonder how close this is to, to being a team that doesn't even need him as much as we would have thought you know, a year ago, two years ago when he was hurt? Are they evolving into a team that doesn't need him as much? And at that point, that will make, considering a cat trade, which they might need to do for salary cap purposes anyway, that might make it easier to think about that. Now, in the meantime, though, what is he doing to his trade value along the way? And, and again, he's going to have better games. This is just one game. But what is what is his relative value versus what he is doing for the team right now? That is a big disappointment. The other Interesting development in this game. Shake Milton plays just three minutes in this game. Has a three trillion in the box score. Um, three followed by twelve zeros. Didn't do a single thing in this game except he was a minus eight. Jordan McLaughlin actually got a decent little run. Had got at least a, a rotation through and looked a lot better. I wonder if there will be a change in the backup point guard minutes or if they're just trying to get Milton going at some point. That will be interesting to watch too. But those are that's a nitpick. The cat thing's a bigger thing, but maybe just a one-off or. Something where you're like, okay, 10 games from now after he's had a hot streak, we're not worrying about this. I don't know, but I'm, I'm concerned about that. But the bigger picture is still that this is a team and hesitated. He didn't say they've turned a corner. I've, I've been I've been guilty of that before, too. I've been guilty of prematurely saying this team has turned a corner. I've been called out on that a few times, so I'm not saying they've done that either. But I, I will say this team feels a little bit different right now in the way they're handling it, approaching it. Chris Finch wants them to do it again. Do it again, do it again. I agree with that. They haven't done anything yet. This was Game Six, but you'd much rather win it than lose it. A couple other things, quick before we get to the football talk on the show. It's gonna be a long show today. I can already feel it. Um, before we get to the football talk, Bally Sports uh, is gonna be the home of the Timberwolves in the Wild for at least the rest of this season. It sounds like um, Sports Business Journal reporting that the NBA and uh, Diamond Sports have agreed to a one-year deal, essentially, like to keep to keep. the the, all the nba teams on diamond sports through the rest of this season but as part of that um the last paragraph of the story at sports business journal says after this season the deal has the nba reclaiming the rights to the 15 teams that have deals with valley sports the teams could work out new deals with the diamond Sports diamond sports owned rsn's at that point so basically this makes it so whatever the length of your deal was they are all now essentially synced up. They are all done at the end of the year. Doesn't mean that there won't be any teams on owned by Diamond Sports on Valley Sports after this season, but it does mean that all the NBA teams have the possibility, have the right to go to a different kind of platform that the, the the rights revert back to the nba after this season that's significant because the wolves deal had multiple has multiple years left on it will they stick with sinclair will they stick with bally i don't know the wild same thing they're on a multi-year deal as well it sounds like the nhl is going to cut a similar deal uh to have their rights go through the end of this season according to this piece in in sports business journal so an update there sounds like not a surprise to me based on the way things were going they're already in season that this would be the solution for this year but beyond this season it does feel like we're headed for something different for some teams or maybe all teams i don't know what the nba has cooked up but i I think it's interesting to see what they've got cooked up and this essentially means that all teams could make a different decision after this season which in this market is particularly interesting because we know the twins deal is up already that that deal expired that 12-year deal expired so all of these teams essentially could have rights going in a different place starting you know with the 2024 seasons in all three of those sports so that to me is interesting what will that look like beyond this year we will have to see got to mention too: go for basketball men's team uh opens the season monday with an 80 to 60 win over bethune cookman Uh, pretty you know, pretty standard stuff. A twenty-point win over uh, a lower lower division team, a you know a low a low D one team. That's a that's a good that's a good tune up. Get some confidence going. Dawson Garcia looked good. Some of the newcomers looked good. Not going to get too excited about this game or analyze it too much. It was kind of a kind of fill in your score game, even for a lower you know lower half of the Big Ten kind of team like the Gophers, but. Hey, uh, I think they'll take wins in any form they come after the way it's been going these past couple seasons, and maybe they can build on that. And speaking of the Gophers, Kent Youngblood will join me on Wednesday show to preview the women's team. Um, interesting year coming up. Don Plitzo-White taking over as head coach. A lot of talent coming back. Plenty of interest in that team and where they can go with some of that talent. So uh, Kent will join me on uh, on Wednesday show to talk uh, about the season ahead and the de- the debut of that team starting on wednesday
1: grand casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan the passion the hope the anticipation that incomparable feeling of winning grand casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation thrill and winning at grand casino grand casino let your story begin
0: Let's bring in Andrew Kramer to review the film. A lot of new film to review, Andrew, from that 31-28 Vikings win over the Falcons. Jaron Hall comes, you know, starts the game, gets knocked out. I thought he looked pretty good early on moving the ball, especially on that, you know, the scoring drive that that he got knocked out on. Joshua Dobbs comes in. It looks like the Josh Freeman game all over again for a little while cuz he looks like he's, you know, just he looks like the guy who they got 5 days ago. He's, you know, strip sacks, safeties. Like it looks like the game is going to get out of hand, but the defense keeps it close and then he turns it around, ends up winning the game for them. Um Andrew, I, I don't know what, you know, how much how much the film tells us at this point, but what did you, what did you make of his performance after, you know, essentially being with the Vikings for, for five days and being in the building for even less than that.
1: Yeah. It was just all the more remarkable watching it back and seeing what he was able to accomplish, considering how rudimentary the offer and offense got <clears throat> considering how He's talking about learning his teammates' names. He's he's learning the cadences that they normally go through with the offensive line. Um, for the entire team to get through what they did without operation, a ton of operational penalties, um, for them to, to look uh, competent at times, I and mean, most of it had to do with his legs and moving around and the mobility, um, he responded to pressure so well after getting just destroyed right out of the gate. With the safety that you mentioned, and then he gets the two fumble recoveries, it's so easy to forget how it's David Questenberry starting at left tackle instead of Christian Darrisaw It's Dalton Reisner starting at left guard, a guy who got here at the end of September. Um, there was just so much change in this group, and they kind of had to play backyard football a little bit where O'Connell's calling some plays knowing that my guys in the huddle are going to have to tell him. Uh, here's what you have on this half of the field. Here's what you have on this half of the field. and credit Dobbs for being able to retain that and, and uh, on the fly, even if he couldn't read the field and and get the ball out, he still found ways to to make plays. And a lot of those scrambles that you saw, especially the fourth down one at the end, you're used to seeing that against the Vikings, <laughs> not for the Vikings. and that was um, it was remarkable to see and it was a credit to so many people, um including Josh
0: Dobbs. Now, that was one thing I'd mentioned to you last week when we did this segment. We didn't know who the quarterback was going to be at that point because they hadn't made the trade yet. But we knew it was probably, you know, it was a good chance Jaron Hall was going to start and there was a decent chance they might get someone in a trade. And and whoever they started was probably going to be more mobile than Kirk Cousins. And obviously, whoever they were going to play on Sunday wasn't going to be the same quarterback, same passer, didn't have the same arm talent, didn't have the same experience as Kirk Cousins. But I was. Curious, even before the game started to see what that offense might look like with that added dimension of being able to run the ball. And you saw Hall take off a couple times in the scramble, unfortunately injured on one of those plays with the concussion. Dobbs carries seven times for 66 yards. Like all all of their scoring drives with Dobbs, all three touchdown drives and a field goal drive, were extended or, you know, finished with the one that was a touchdown scramble by, you know, gains of ten yards or longer. You mentioned the twenty-two-yard scramble on fourth down. He had the one right before the half that was critical. They got picked up like a third down when he eluded some guys and dove to like the two yard line. They got in the end zone instead of having to settle for a field goal there. Like what do you what do you make of his ability to do that and the, you know, how that offense looks when they have a guy who can do that. Well it's such a cheat code, right? And Yes. And they haven't had it for a while.
1: It's the thing when you're playing Madden, anybody who grew up playing Madden, you know, if you pick the mobile quarterback, you're always going to have a way out no matter what breaks down. And that's kind of what happened here. And and Brian Flores has talked about this from a defensive perspective. And we've all kind of raised our eyebrows as Kirk Cousins leads this team, albeit, you know, very well in his own way. Um, Brian Flores has said, I think quarterback mobility is very important because it's very difficult to defend for anybody when you've got that added element. Defenses are constructed to do 11 versus 10. We need to guard your 10 players or, or account for them versus our 11. And when you get that quarterback mobility, it evens the playing field and it creates a void that defenses often, especially Dobbs, who's coming in off the bench, wasn't starting. As much as he wasn't prepared for the Vikings, the Val- the Falcons were not preparing for him as much. Um, that was something that they clearly were not prepared for. And frankly, I thought the Falcons were poorly operated from the jump. I thought yes. Jaron Hall, I thought Jaron Hall and, and O'Connell came out firing. I thought I really liked the plan out of the gate. The the even though the run game was awful, they were still getting some of the play action passing. Um, they the Falcons weren't selling anything defensively. They just sat there in single high and then forgot to cover Alexander Madison on a forty yard p- pass down the field. Yeah. Um, there were so many things that the Falcons did that were head scratching to the Vikings credit with keeping penalties low. Um, operating cleanly outside of the running game, they were able to take advantage of that kind of stuff, and it's huge when the quarterback can run the way he did, and especially when a defense is doing very little to account for it. And even when they did, Dobbs was able um, to evade defenders pretty easily.
0: So, is is his success? You know, he hadn't even taken a snap from Garrett Bradbury. He, you know, was very new to the playbook. Is his success a testament to? How much they were able to get him prepared this week and on Sunday, or is it a testament to the fact that man, maybe a lot of this fancy stuff is overblown, and all you really need to do is just go out there and play sometimes? Because you know, I'm, I can see it both ways. Yeah, why do we need training camp, right? Why I mean, not just not training camp, but like why? You know, are do they make this sound more complicated than it really is sometimes?
1: Well, I think this was a, a scenario where I think if you run this through a simulator, perhaps. Josh Topp and the Vikings are not winning this game, you know, eight, nine times out of 10. And they happen to because, again, they played an incredibly clean game that normally does not happen. Normally, you've seen it, Vikings fans. You've seen it the first seven, eight weeks of the season. Normally, you were dropping passes. Normally, you were getting penalized. Normally, you were fumbling or creating turnovers. And they did have those moments that they overcame with Dobbs. But normally you have more of those when you're missing this many key players. They played a very good game. They played a better game, the players who were on the field, than they've played at times in full games against the Buccaneers or against the Panthers where they had to eke that one out. Um, This was much more of a complete game from a skill player standpoint, from everybody performing. And those are the things that came together for them. Now, this is where it gets harder, is where the New Orleans Saints – See all that with Josh Dobbs. They're going to orchestrate a plan that uh, tries to curtail his mobility and tries to make him throw the football. So the pendulum is going to swing backward, where they're going to be expecting Josh Dobbs. They're going to plan for it, and you're going to see what their plan is and and how that stacks up. Where the Falcons were clearly unprepared for Josh Dobbs running wild the way that he did. So I think it'll be it'll be difficult for him to continue it the way that he did, but his mobility will be a factor every single play. And you're still going to see the Vikings benefit from it. And it, it's going to be just a breath of fresh air for people who have been watching kind of, you know, an immobile pocket for a long time.
0: Where do they go from here though? I mean, you could say this was kind of a, a one-off game and it's going to be hard to repeat. We we, we assume that you know, Hall will clear concussion protocol at some point here. Nick Mullins is eligible to come off of injured reserve soon as well as soon as next week like how do you think the quarterback room shakes out does Dodd did Dobbs do enough that he should just be the starter no matter what next week or how do you think this plays itself out I would assume it's Josh Dobbs
1: because right now Jaren Hall as you mentioned is in the concussion protocol it is going to take him a minimum of three I believe days to come out of that and so he's going to most likely have to miss uh, Wednesday's practice earliest I think he can come back is Thursday on a limited basis. Are you going to bring out that rookie quarterback um, when he's already missing one of your key game planning days on Wednesday? And the way that Josh Dobbs just played and rallied the locker room, rallied the team, he's got the entire NFL talking about this guy and this team right now. I think he earned it. And the wild card right now is Nick Mullins's health and right. that back injury. But because of the uncertainty that that Kevin O'Connell has discussed and behind the scenes, they're just as uncertain about when Nick will be ready to play. Um, I would have to guess it's going to be Josh. Um, Nick Mullins is eligible to return from IR and can practice this week. Same with Justin Jefferson. Uh, although Kevin O'Connell said as recently as last Friday, I'm not sure if either will be able to practice this upcoming week. So the guess right now is that it's going to be Dobbs. Um, and, and I think you can't understate the impact on the locker room and the rallying effect that, that a win like that really does have.
0: What if neither one of those other guys can go? Do they need to elevate somebody else? I mean, Sean Mannion. I mean, Mannion would be the number two. Do they need another? Do they need another quarterback th- to bring in another quarterback this week because they don't have? I mean, right now they have two healthy quarterbacks that we know of. Yeah, and they don't need a new emergency quarterback. That's what too, I'm saying. Yeah, they, yeah, and they didn't even they didn't even have Manning active. Like there was nobody behind Dobbs yesterday or on, well, on Sunday. Bro- the Fox
1: broadcast uh, reported that Cam Akers was the emergency yeah. quarterback. Yeah, and then so, he got hurt. So, so what would have he, been, what would have happened? Who would have been the emergency quarterback then? Like J- Jordan Addison? <laughs> I don't know. Like Kevin O'Connell mentioned, um, or that that had said that Akers suffered an Achilles injury. So that right. That is going to, yeah, get rid of him. Um, so, yeah, they got to come up with a new, um, you know, kind of DEFCON, you know, hit the red button option. And then, yeah, I would believe Sean Mannion would be brought up to be the backup if um, they needed to. And that's that's the situation if you don't have Jaron Hall and then if Nick Mullins can't play, as you said. So I wouldn't be too shocked if if we're seeing a, a uh, Sean Mannion activation if Jaron Hall is unavailable.
0: Yeah, I mean, all of this is just... Wild because you had five and a half years of Kirk Cousins not missing any game due to injury. He missed the game for COVID. He missed the game at the end of 2019 when they were resting everybody and they were kind of locked into their playoff spot. But he's been healthy his entire career. This is brand new territory for them. And it's just one game. But do you this glimpse that they got of kind of how they live without Kirk Cousins? What, what do you think they what do you think they think after one of, of nine games without Kirk Cousins? Well, I think they see a lot of exciting things to build on with
1: Dobbs' mobility. I mean, that is the thing that they're probably going to try to harness. As much as I talk about New Orleans now game planning to stop it, the Vikings are going to be able to game plan for it in a way that they weren't this was all improvised. Dobbs was very much flying by the seat of his pants and kind of living off of instinct and reacting to what was happening. Now they can roll him out more. They can design things with that mobility. Maybe we see a zone read to try to help out the running game, but how much do you want to put your quarterback in harm's way when you're already dealing with as many injuries as you are? So there's a lot of things to consider, but I do think that if you've got Dobbs under center, you're you're content with him moving forward as the guy, um, they're gonna start to kind of draw on the back of napkins and blow out plays that they've already got and expand them with Josh Dobbs and figure out how they can curtail that to his strengths and it's going to be exciting to see and you're going to see moments like you saw in the third quarter or second quarter where he's getting tackled for a safety he's fumbling it's not all going to be exciting wins i doubt he's going to rattle off you know a six game win streak here um there's a reason he's a journeyman but it was an incredibly exciting moment on Sunday and it gives you hope that this team can be somewhat relevant um honestly even more so than I think Jared Hall could do for them even though he had moments uh, on Sunday before he went down.
0: Cardinals have to be trying to lose at this point right? They trade this guy after he's been starting for them and he you know they were 1 and 7 so it's not like he was lighting up the world but his his quarterback play wasn't the real problem for them. He he was like 19th in total QBR going into the trade number one in total qbr this week by the way in the entire nfl i think he's like 17th overall now but they play clayton toon who just like absolutely gets obliterated in, in his in his first start i don't know it's just the the timeline and just the fascinating nature of a guy like getting traded to arizona right before the season starts having to learn an entirely new playbook there playing starting half their you know, the first half of their season getting traded then all of a sudden has to come in here like i can't remember anything parallel to this there's really not much yeah i did mentioned at his locker last week
1: you know this is going to be a great story to tell someday and it, it really is because yeah you don't see this very often where i believe it's five teams in the last calendar year he spent 16 days on the detroit lions practice squad um, He went to the Titans and started his first NFL game less than a year ago. This guy had been in the NFL since 2000, I believe 19, and he had not started a game or no 17, excuse me, with the Steelers and had not started a game until last December. And all of a sudden he started for three different teams, him and Baker Mayfield, well, assuming he starts Sunday, him and Baker Mayfield will be the only quarterback since 1950 to start for three different teams in one calendar year. Um And those guys did it within the same calendar year. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. It's amazing. Um, it's, it's a wild ride for him. And um yeah, it, the Cardinals are clearly trying to lose. Josh Dobbs' only yeah. crime, and ironically, his only crime for getting traded a third time, was that he was doing too well and, and beat the Cowboys and yeah. was going to maybe threaten their stance as the yes. uh, number one overall draft pick.
0: Um, couple more things before I let you go. A couple non-Dobbs things. Um, he was not helped much by the running game. Nor was Jaron Hall when he was in there. It continues to be, um, a problem. I'm I, I imagining it gets even harder when there's less, like less keying in on the quarterback. Like the the pass game is not what it what it was, and we don't know what KJ Osborne status is. We still don't know what. Jefferson status will be for next week but like if you can't get the running game to go to get going and it's even harder now to get it going no cam acres offensive line a little bit in, in disarray like how does that impact what they try to do and do they how do they try to keep this try to get this going when it hasn't been going all year. Well, I think they're going to have to bring in a running back. Uh, I don't know who. Uh, the, you know, trade
1: deadline's gone. It's, you know, Leonard Fournette even is signed, even though he was unsigned for months. Play, play Ty Chandler some. What's the
0: problem here?
1: Play I, Ty I, Chandler. The- Behind the scenes, there is concern about Ty's reliability um between the ears to line up in the yeah. same spot okay. to not
0: get penalized. Maybe maybe so that's there, not the maybe that's not maybe that's not the best thing next to a guy who's been here for five days. I get that. <laughs> there is. Well, they might not have a choice though. So Kane Wongwu
1: was a healthy scratch, which tells you yeah. how coaches are feeling about him. Um so you've got two running backs behind Madison now that coaches already were hesitant about putting out there. I do wonder if there's going to be some kind of uh, practice squad, a guy that they pluck off of somebody else's practice squad um, to come in and help for this active roster because they they desperately need some help and they've desperately needed some playmaking for some time. And, and as, as good as Cam Akers can be in spurts, he was not offering that reliably, at least not in the schemes they were trying to use him in. And then Alexander Madison has just not been creating behind the line. No. He's get he's available, you know, as a receiver. And when he gets a full head of steam, he can be dangerous, but he's too often stopping his feet behind hesitant and, and un, unstable blocking. Um, and he's just not looking comfortable back there. So to answer your question, I think fresh blood from somewhere, the quasi is, is going to have to be looking at practice squads to try to find um, somebody because they, they need a body and they need production.
0: Yeah, they do. Well, like you said, maybe they can get some zone read stuff going, but yeah, they need some something back there, some fresh legs, somebody that they, neither neither of those running backs looked very good in that game against Atlanta. And I get it; it's it's not just them; it's the line. I don't know if it's I don't know if we're like dividing the blame, who gets more than fifty percent, but it's it's a pretty feels like a pretty equal share at this point that the running backs aren't doing enough, that the line isn't doing enough to help them either, but. I don't know. Uh, let's let's shift to defense really quick. They, you know they gave up twenty eight points, twenty six, I guess technically because two were from the safety. I thought they I thought they did well to obviously hold in some situations, especially after some of those turnovers to hold hold Atlanta to field goals instead of touchdowns, kind of kept that game close. But not a, not a ton of blitzing in this game, from what I can see. They, they they would show a lot of those six and seven man you know standing up at the line looks, but they would drop a lot into three and four. Three and four rush and you know, you know, eight or you know, seven or eight back.
1: Yeah, and and that was to the cost sometimes of the pressure, it would seem that Taylor Heineke had a lot of time to throw in moments when he found Kadarill Hodge or found uh Kyle Pitts over the middle for some of those big gains. Um, yeah, it just it seemed like they kind of brought over a little bit of the Jordan Love game plan of, yeah, we're not too scared of you, so we're gonna put guys more in coverage. And I saw an interesting stat that the Vikings actually lead the NFL. Um, in disparity between three-man, four-man, and five-man rushes, which means that typically an NFL team is doing four-man uh, rushes or more. And the Vikings are doing a ton of three-man. They're mixing it up with a ton of five-plus uh, in terms of blitzing. And they're really doing very little standard four-man rushing. And so they're trying to keep offenses guessing whether they're dropping a ton into coverage, which you'll hear called like the drop eight, which is just the three-man rush, or the blitzing. And they're they're really trying to be kind of varied in that sense. And Brian Flores mentioned earlier before this game, I think opposing offenses are picking up on how much we like to blitz. Well, like, well, you don't, you don't say, um, so, so, uh, I think he's trying to mix it up a little bit, change up their tendencies. And he probably viewed Atlanta as an opponent and Heineke as an opponent that he could do that against. And Hey, they, they paid a little bit because their coverage is still, you know, not locked down, uh, as it were.
0: No, it did pay off though. I think with the the Byron Murphy interception in the fourth quarter, they finally like baited, um, baited baited Heineke into a bad throw, and that was the pick that turned into the field goal that gave them the lead. You know, until Atlanta just ran it straight down the field and took the lead before the Josh Dobbs heroics. But yeah, I I was surprised that they didn't come after Heineke a little bit more. He is. Fairly mobile. He can do some stuff with his legs, but it looked like when they made him uncomfortable was when they were better off. And it was a lot of third and longs that got converted where I was like, man, would have been nice to bring five or six there instead of dropping back and letting him pick apart that zone. Although when Heineke comes out throwing like
1: gunslinger risk taken, like I'm going to like the Vikings were getting hands on passes pretty early in that game. If you're Flores, you're thinking, you know what, this guy might just give us a turnover. We might not have to take it. Um, And they did eventually. I think Cam Bynum made a great play where he broke uh, on a, on a kind of middle over the the middle breaking route from deep coverage. He continues to make those kinds of plays. Um, and that's that's going to be good for them in terms of the development of him, Metellus, and some of these young defenders, even though we see the ups and downs uh, with other guys uh, like a Caleb Evans.
0: Well, plenty to learn this week. I mean, we're going to learn a lot of injury information this week. That's probably going to be a lot of the, the updating. We'll find out for sure who the starting quarterback is. I mean, these are questions we barely had to answer for a long time, but, uh, but here we are. What a week. Uh, I'm sure we'll learn more about Joshua Dobbs as well, a guy whose story is just unbelievable and maybe uh maybe the next in line for for all of these kind of like weird vikings mid-year quarterback switches who end up you know catching lightning in a bottle i don't know maybe he's maybe he's the next case keen and we'll just see <laughs> maybe
1: yeah maybe we'll be talking again in uh, january at the nfc championship game <laughs>
0: wow let's hold on <laughs> on that one we'll see but uh, andrew appreciate it as always we'll take you next, talk to you next week thanks mike Appreciate Andrew, as always, and appreciate uh, his colleague, Ben Gessling, as well. We'll do an Access Vikings podcast, the three of us, on Wednesday. In the meantime, go check out uh, Ben's really good piece on kind of how Kevin O'Connell and Josh Dobbs worked together on Sunday to kind of maneuver that plane to a safe landing and, and secure a victory in that game is it's pretty interesting stuff complete with uh, some good inside information some insights so go check out ben's story on dot and listen to the access vikings podcast on wednesday and then the mailbag edition on friday It's time for some vikings poetry on daily delivery joyous poems i would imagine today they've been kind of joyous lately in general although last week of course tinged with the uh, the unknown of what would happen of the Vikings season when Kirk Cousins was injured late in that win over the Packers. Keith, I guess all we had to do was wait and find out because Joshua Dobbs to the rescue, just as all of us predicted. Even when we recorded this last week, they hadn't even traded for Joshua Dobbs. We had no inkling that he was even going to be anywhere near this field. It took a weird set of circumstances, and yet here we are.
2: Isn't it ironic that your least popular segment is going to be your most joyous this week? <laughs> it
0: is ironic, don't you think? Let's hear, uh, let's hear Vaiku number one, please.
2: An apparition haunted the field Sunday. Ghost of Case Keenum. <laughs> it's the first name you go to, right? It's
0: like, you know, I did a blog post last week. Kind of about all these like weird charm, oh, Mr. Fancy Writer Man. Yeah, yeah. I did a blog okay. post. I did a blog post. That's what I do. I I write and I do this podcast. It's my job. Sometimes I can't believe it, but um, it's uh, you know, all these Viking seasons in the past, these weird Viking seasons that have been kind of rescued by. Guys who didn't start the year as a starter, you know, Case Keenum is obviously the biggest one. But you think about like Randall Cunningham in 1998; he was not the starter going into the year. It was Brad Johnson, and then Johnson gets hurt. He was,
2: he was the biggest one. He he was the big. Case Keenum was maybe the biggest surprise because nobody had ever heard of him, right? But yes, you're right. Randall Cunningham is by far the, the the most, the clearest example of exactly what you're talking about, and and it's just you know. It's kind of nice just to every now and then, right? Just to see a success like this happen. Yeah. And it it may be just for one week. Right. You and I have watched enough football uh, over the uh-huh. years. We've seen a million quarterbacks have one or two great games before they're back out of the out right. of the picture. We've seen it happen to the Vikings more than once. Oh yeah, for sure. Right. So this could be this could be nothing. This could be a blip. This is, could be just something right. that we all forget about soon enough. But for the time being, in, in this goofy, stupid, dumb, ridiculous season, you may as well enjoy what that was on Sunday.
0: Four and without Justin Jefferson. I don't think a lot of us would have predicted that the way the season started but yeah it's just it was just it was a fun game it was it was one of the more entertaining vikings games just for a while just because not only i know they played a bunch of weird fun games last year but this one just had the element of i have no idea what's going to happen next because i have no idea what this quarterback can do because he doesn't know what he can do
2: well it became fun right but it's not like he came out guns a blazing it was a safety safety in a couple fumbles early yeah it took about two and a half quarters to warm up a little bit there. So I wouldn't I wouldn't call it three hours of pure joy. No. But the way that it turned around, it it made it worthwhile in the long run. Okay. Thank
0: you By two, the way, please. How oh, awful oh.
2: would it be to how awful would it be to be an Atlanta fan today? Oh, you you just lost <laughs> to Joshua so Dobbs. You, you and they
0: and they defended him awfully. They they had I mean, I guess you probably you weren't game planning for him, but you probably had to know like even one of their defensive backs, I think, said, "Yeah, we knew he was going to run to his right. Like you didn't stop it a single bit. Like what were you doing out there? Like this guy doesn't know the playbook. All you got to do is contain him, and you probably win that game." But they
2: didn't. Yeah. Well, too bad.
0: Yeah. Too bad. Like you. Anyway, bad number is. two.
2: Yes. Was it a dumb way to get to that final score, or the dumbest way?
0: Yeah, thirty-one twenty-eight is not exactly an uncommon football score but you're right they got there because atlanta had a safety but then missed a two-point conversion right is that what i'm is that what happened
2: if i if i'm not mistaken right the, the way that it sticks out into my mind at one point that game was tied 21 21 okay tied yeah regular normal football score 21 21 and only three touchdowns had been scored right which it's silly. is just like, the safety, two point conversion, the yep. the myriad of field goals, just right. the ridiculous. It was it was, I mean, it's not the absolute dumbest way no. to get to a normal score, but at one point it was five to three. It was five three. You know, you don't see you it don't was see that five to three after
0: Dobbs got sacked in the end zone, and you're like, it kind of reminded me of the Josh Freeman game at the beginning, which. <laughs> coming in cold, and then it wasn't. But yeah, five three was a weird score. I love how safe, 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 safeties just make things weird, especially early on. Like when a game is like two to nothing early, or three to two, or like a five to three in this game. It's just kind of it's just silly. But we did not have a uh, we did not have a score agami in this game because it ended up being a pretty common uh, a pretty common score. Yep. Okay, number three, Sorry. please.
2: Joyous victory helped significantly by a foot through the door.
0: Oh, this is a, uh, this is a callback to, uh, Taylor Heineke, isn't it?
2: It most certainly is. He, um, <clears throat> he, he seems to be at just a, a half a notch below truly competent. Yeah. Like almost there, almost there, almost someone that you can kind of sort of trust. But just that that half step below, and maybe it's because he's the type of guy who uh, enjoys a few too many and, and starts kicking things around. Okay. Yeah, we
0: don't know what happened that night, but we do know that I mean he's made a long career out of this. But you're <laughs> we, right, he's
2: we definitely don't know what happened. That we night.
0: don't we don't know exactly what happened that night, but it was you know that that started a whole chain of events too. By the way, because that was the 2016 season where. He's out and they end up having to they end up trading for Bradford after Teddy gets hurt. But anyway, he he ends up having a nice long career as a backup, but you're right. I think the problem with Taylor Heineke is that he wants to be a gunslinger and he just isn't quite good enough to be a gunslinger. So the things he does well don't quite compensate enough for the fact that the things he does well get him into trouble a little bit too much. So he's gonna throw those crushing interceptions like he did the other day, or he's just not going to quite rise to that level.
2: Well, they mentioned on the broadcast more than once that he plays every play like it's his last, right? And, you know, I'm not sure that's an effective strategy to (laughs) to win a football game. Yeah. If it were my last play, I would fling it down the field as far as I could every (laughs) single time. Right. That that would be the, the entire game plan.
0: He was the quarterback with Washington last year when the ball should have been picked off by like three different guys, but then Bynum collides with the ref and Washington ends up catching the pass for the long touchdown. The like Vikings still won that game, but like that was the Taylor Heineke experience wrapped up in one play.
2: Right. he's he sort of Brett Favre without the, the talent or the fraud allegations. Or
0: the giant cell phone picture from 1992.
2: Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, number four, please. A team with some heart. Inspirational to watch. Unlike the gophers.
0: I knew I knew where you're going. Like we've been doing these long enough that I knew we, were, we knew where you were going with that. It was, it was like the exact opposite of the Gophers game, is of course, right? It's like the the okay. backup quarterback leads the Vikings to victory in the final minute, whereas they the gophers get beat by the backup quarterback. And man, I don't know. Like just this this team is this is not a good gopher team. They're not a great gopher team. They're an okay team, but If not now, when? Right? Like you're going into the belly of the real Big Ten next year. You have a chance this year, even though you've already lost Northwestern, you've got a chance to win the Big Ten West. Nobody is good in the Big Ten West. All you got to do is beat Illinois, beat Purdue, and beat Wisconsin, and you're probably going to be Big Ten West champs, and they can't even do
2: that. Well, a couple things about that. The first is uh, not only is this your least popular segment, but apparently it's getting stale since you can predict what's going to happen from here on out. Uh, But secondly, is it possible that the Gophers are even more Vikings than the Vikings?
0: They've, they certainly are finding some interesting ways to lose now. That's for sure. And that's, that's what happens when you play not to lose, right? Like, this is this is kind of pj fleck like it's it, you've talked about it has talked about it like it runs completely contrary to who you think he is and who he presents himself to be his coaching strategy is completely opposite it's safe it's to the vest it's like we're going to do everything possible to kind of maintain this thing we have instead of you know accelerating onto this thing we have
2: well in every i mean. You, the whole Big Ten is going to change radically next year, as you t- talked about. Yeah, it's it, it's they will have absolutely no hope after next year, no. just none whatsoever, because they are not one of the blue bloods, and you cannot crawl into that class unless you do some truly awful things. And I don't know if we're and even if you do truly awful things, there's no guarantee that you're gonna crawl into that that class. Are you suggesting so are you suggesting they, had,
0: they go you suggesting they go steal some signs like Michigan did?
2: Well, what you, you want know, them I'm to just do? Saying it, it, I know people hate the NCAA and I can understand why. Uh, but when you realize, when you take a step back and, and really think about how they are having to try to regulate sociopaths, right? <laughs> because there's no football coach on planet Earth who's a normal, regular human being, yeah, right. These these people are not right. They are not who you want to have as neighbors, right? You realize that maybe they have a real difficult yeah. job there. But the the bigger point is is that throughout the Fleck era, they have had multiple opportunities now to take that next step, yes, and to be just even for one year to be bigger than what they normally are to have yes. that level of success. And even in that magical 11 and two year, right. Yes. They couldn't pull it together. to win right. The big 10 West. And so it, PJ Fleck is, is it, the younger, hipper version of Glenn Mason, right? We're just not taking that next step. And, and it's hard because, the program has a level of competency that has not been what it's what they've normally had over the last four right. years or so. Right, but they're so they're more Vikings than the Vikings, right? They they will disappoint. You will get the occasional Josh Dobbs game with the Vikings. You will get the occasional trip to the NFC Championship game. It, Every single time there's an opportunity to win the Big Ten West, to take that next step, to win a game that will help really propel them to where they where you want them to be, even just for one year. Yeah. It never happens.
0: And probably never will.
2: We really killed the joy, didn't we? Yep. Yeah. Josh Dobbs. I got it back.
0: Man, these next eight games for the Vikings are going to be really interesting, aren't they? To see what they can, see what they piece together at quarterback, see how that looks. Not just influencing how the rest of this year goes, but probably how they think about the quarterback position going into 2024. I mean, if, if Dobbs keeps playing well, and again, that's a big if. This was just one game. Um, adrenaline's going. They're kind of making stuff up on the fly. The Falcons didn't really do a great job defending it, but if, he proves to be serviceable, and they win some games with him, that probably changes a little bit of how they look at quarterback going forward. So that's what I'm going to be watching this year. What what does this look like this year? And what does this look like going forward? And how does that influence the decisions they have to make on Kirk Cousins, drafting quarterbacks, things like that in 2024 and beyond? Let's finish with the cooler. Love this. A uh, A listener noticed that I had kind of a funny comment with Royce on Monday. I was kind of musing about the uh, Northwestern versus Iowa game that was at Wrigley Field over uh, over the weekend where Iowa football beat Northwestern 10-7. I was joking with Royce. I said, I wonder how many times the Cubs outscored the, the Cubs and their opponent outscored the Hawkeyes and, and uh, Northwestern uh, in, in baseball over this past season in the football game. And uh, Weston Johnson uh, from Twitter went out, went ahead and found, found that number. He went and looked it up. He said, inspired by an offhand comment made by Randall during today's Daily Delivery podcast, I looked up the highest scoring games at Wrigley Field in 2023. Iowa versus Northwestern ranks seventh highest for the whole year and they say Big Ten West teams can't score. That was awesome. Uh, The Cubs and uh, six other teams teamed up to score more than 17 runs on six different occasions. The Cubs were the winning team in five of those games, including a 20-9 to win over the Reds, 29 points scored. Uh, That would be right around the over-under line for most uh, Iowa games for the rest of the year, 29. So... Um, Iowa and Northwestern scored 17. The Cubs and their opponent outscored them six times this year. So only the seventh highest scoring game at Wrigley this season. Thank you, Weston, for that essential, awesome piece of information. And that will do it for today. Like I said, Kent Youngblood on tomorrow's show. Plenty of good stuff coming up later in the week. Expecting to have Chip Scoggins on as well for a special appearance on a really cool story that he is working on. So listen for that as well. Until then, I'm Michael Rand.
2: Back at it again tomorrow.